You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. I do invite all of you to join me in the reading of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read it together. Starting there in verse 9 of Matthew 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Thanks, Dean. You may be seated. I just... That smoke is just wafting toward me, and I love it. I just want the breeze to come this way. So Aaron's got the grill going here. I think I'm going to back up. I think I'm a little ahead of the speakers here. All right. Oh, for many of you, this is a familiar setup. (laughs) We were trying to count, like, how many times we met during when the shutdowns took place. In this particular pavilion, or I guess between this pavilion and the enclosed pavilion over there, it was probably, it seemed like 20 plus times of gathering together. And you know what? Just a moment just to reflect. We can acknowledge that was God's provision, right? That was God's grace as we kind of traversed through all the uh, challenges that was 2020 and into 2021. So it it is good to be back. And of course, as you all know, uh, welcome to stay, hang out afterwards. We got food, we got brats. Um, everyone's welcome to stay and hang out and fellowship and, and hang out. I saw water balloons uh, earlier. I'm not sure what's up with that. Just don't use them during the sermon. I'm looking at you, Aaron and Danny. Saw you guys messing with that. All right, if you got your Bible, um, you can keep your finger in Matthew 6. Matthew 6. We'll be looking at one verse this morning. It's verse 10. Just verse 10. And now, I'll flip back a few chapters uh, to Matthew 4 in a minute, but you can just kind of stay in this general vicinity so we don't have projection this morning, obviously, so your paper or digital Bible is going to serve you. So before I pray and get into the nuts and bolts of today's message, I think it's worth mentioning that the content of today's passage can have several interpretations. I expect, I truly expect some of you to disagree with me. Like, I, I'm, I'm anticipating that. <laughs> Some of you are going to be like, uh-uh, I'm not following you. <laughs> Some of you are going to be like, I, I'm indifferent, whatever. And like three of you, maybe two, maybe one, maybe no one, maybe, maybe one, are going to be like, amen, underneath your breath. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm tracking. Um, whatever camp you're in, cool. I just hear that on the front end. Great. Whatever camp you're in, great. Redemption Hill is a church where theological questions and discussion are valued. So hear it from the pastor. 
We value discussion, theological discussion, and yes, even theological debate. Yes, we are a confessional church, and our confession is deep and it's wide. I would argue it's the best confession of faith in town. That's my opinion. We don't hide the ball where we stand on theology, but two things can be true at the same time. We can have robust theological convictions, and we can also engage in one another in meaningful debate or discussion, however you want to frame it. So what is the interpretive difference between scholars, theologians, and perhaps many of you regarding Matthew 6.10? The debate is about the timing and the nature of the kingdom of heaven. The timing and the nature of the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if you've noticed, but in this sermon series, as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, we keep bumping into this phrase, the kingdom of heaven. I've been waiting until this sermon to explain the significance and the implications of this phrase. Here are three statements that differ when explaining the kingdom of heaven on earth. This is important because you keep running into this throughout the entire Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, and the Gospel of Mark. They use different language, and I'll get to that. But here are three like, statements that, that just point the, the difference in how people are interpreting this phrase. Number one, the kingdom of heaven has been firmly established here on earth. No more explanation needed. We are living in the kingdom of heaven. That would be the, the first statement. Number two, the kingdom of heaven has been partially established here on earth. And so there's more to come. Uh, this is probably the most popular view amongst evangelicals. People say, already, not yet. The the kingdom of heaven's already here, but not quite fully here. That kind of thing going on. Number three, the kingdom of heaven will be established at a future date, namely the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's when the kingdom of heaven will arrive. Now, full disclosure, I vacillate between two of these statements. I'm not going to tell you what ones. You can figure it out. See if you can figure it out. But uh, perhaps I'm actually going to offer a fourth option. Now, you might think, man, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? I would respond by saying it is a big deal to understand the nature of God's kingdom because what you believe about the kingdom of heaven will impact how you live. Like That makes sense. What you think about the kingdom of heaven is going to impact how you live right here, right now. Now, however you interpret this portion of today's passage, the goal is always the same, faithfulness, right? Faithfulness is the goal every time I study, prepare, and preach. God is calling all of you to be faithful, to listen, to wrestle, and to what? Test everything against Holy Scripture. Every word that comes out of Sean Powers' mouth is tested against God's Word. I am fallible. God's Word is infallible. So whatever you hear from me today, run back to Holy Scripture and uh, look there. So let me pray, and then we'll get into today's message. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And as I I just said, and I affirm to you, Almighty God in heaven, that your word is infallible, and it is sufficient as well, as we're going to see today. It is sufficient to tell us everything that we need to know about who you are, the path of redemption through Christ, and what it means to live in this world. So I pray, and I trust that the Spirit is at work this morning. Not only as it was in worship and the preaching of your word and the great conversations we'll have afterwards. So we're thankful for this day and for this time. Pray this in the name we only can pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, I got a question I'm going to ask, and it's going to have an obvious answer, but it's going to be the setup to getting into the text. Where do you live? Right, kind of a weird question. Where do you live? It seems like a dumb question because it is simple, right? You live in the Des Moines metro. You might say you live in Ankeny, Johnston, Waukee, Clive, and the list goes on, right? West Des Moines. Uh, you could say you live in Iowa, the United States of America. I mean, you can ask the question to any of the kids here, and they're going to give you probably a sufficient answer. Now let me ask the question, and let's evaluate the question a little further, but with a little nuance. As a Christian, can you tell me where you live? Think of it strictly from the perspective of your faith in Jesus Christ. As a Christian, can you tell me where you live? Would you say that you live in a kingdom ruled and governed by the sovereign God of the universe? Now, when I say it like that, many Christians are like, well, yeah, of course, (laughs) duh. So if we acknowledge being in God's kingdom, how come so many Christians do not act like they're living in God's kingdom? How come so many people who profess faith in Christ are oblivious to God's kingdom? Right? Could it be that many Christians have been told, unintentionally I would say, a lie about the kingdom of God here on earth? Or they're not being taught at all about the kingdom of heaven here on earth? So one of my goals this morning is to sort out the what and why of this part of the Lord's Prayer. And then in the end, I hope it's clear as to why Jesus has us to pray in in this particular way. Why is he inserting this particular language about the kingdom of heaven? Why is he instructing us? Hey, guys, you need to pray like this. That's where the implications come in, when we rightly understand the kingdom of heaven. Our Lord Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. But what is the kingdom? We've got to answer that question. I don't know about you, but when I think of the word kingdom, specific things pop into mind, right? I think about the great kingdoms of, say, Western Europe. We can go to, to, to the eastern part of the world as well. There were kingdoms there, but my mind goes to the 16th century, just an area that I've studied. I think about the Holy Roman Empire, the kingdom of the Franks, the Scottish kingdom, the Byzantine kingdom, just to name a few. Certainly, books and movies have shaped my imagination regarding these kingdoms, right? You got like a king and a queen, and they're on a throne, and then you have uh, the aristocrats and the peasants, and then you have knights wearing armor. That's all in my mind. That's what I see. I see horses everywhere. I see them today, actually, because we moved to a horse stable, but I see a lot more then, right? Big horses. Also, what's significant about these kingdoms is that land was the greatest commodity. Therefore, at any given point in time, a kingdom was at war or feared to be at war because of land. If there's one universal truth throughout history, it might be that land was constantly being stolen from one tribe or people group by another tribe or people group or nation. (laughs) And it's still happening today, right? Like, Does anybody remember what's going on in Ukraine? So, in the kingdom of heaven, is the kingdom of heaven comparable to these great kingdoms of history? Not really. Whether recognized or not, another kingdom is sovereign over all these 
kingdoms. The fact is this. The one who created the universe, the one who controls the seas and the wind, has set up a kingdom where all of it is owned under the authority of Christ. How many earthly kingdoms were created or instilled and no longer exist? How's the Holy Roman Empire doing these days, right? I mean, I guess technically you could say Vatican City's still a vestige of that. It's only 109 acres. That's nothing to what it was compared to in the 16th century. How's the Byzantine Empire doing these days? Yes, again, we have vestiges of kingdoms in the past that are part of our present, but throughout history, there is one constant. The kingdom of heaven has been established on earth, and God's kingdom cannot be controlled by earthly kingdoms. We're given a few clues about the kingdom of heaven earlier in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 4, we read, this is Matthew 4, verse 17, if you're looking at your Bible. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent. Now, we could stop there and say, that's a, that's a, a message, that's a sermon. But there's more, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The gospel writer, Matthew, records these words after Jesus was baptized, and then he's tempted in the desert by Satan. Jesus repe- preaches repentance to prepare the hearts and minds of his listeners. Now, this is a footnote, but have you noticed that the message of the Old Testament prophets, the message of the New Testament prophet, John the Baptist, and the message of Jesus are all the same? Repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, back to the main point. A few verses later in chapter 4, the theme continues. This is verse 23. And he, Jesus, went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So Jesus has a teaching ministry and a mercy ministry, if you want to call it that. The theme of his teaching ministry is the kingdom. It's about his kingdom. And the the theme continues as we slide into the Sermon on the Mount, as we turn the page from Matthew chapter 4 to Matthew chapter 5. Five times up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus mentions the kingdom of heaven. Five times. If something is mentioned with such frequency, it should cause us to pause and be like, whoa, I see a theme developing. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, you continue to see the kingdom of heaven referenced. Now, if you're reading the Gospel of Mark or Luke, they say the kingdom of God. I take that to be the same thing, right? Matthew's doing something very specific. His audience is Jewish, and he is playing to their Jewish sensibilities. So he's using this language, the kingdom of heaven. So what is the kingdom of heaven? Is the kingdom of heaven this nebulous place where we go to when we die? Like, can you describe heaven for me? Or is the kingdom of heaven a physical space? Here's a definition of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the physical place where God reigns and rules. Again, this is my definition. Some people are going to disagree, and that's cool. We like disagreeing here. We, We can talk these things out. 
The kingdom of heaven is a physical place where God reigns and rules. God, who is spirit, is sovereign over the kingdom of heaven. The material and the spiritual exist together here on earth. Further, it's in the kingdom of heaven here on earth in which God's redemptive purposes are taking place. Uh, Two weeks ago, Rob Chisholm from Northeast Philly preached to us from Jeremiah 29. Some of you might remember that particular message. He made a statement that made my ears perk. He said something that many will not say, but I totally agree with. He said, you are home. Your home is here on earth. Your home is here on earth. Why did he say that? And why do I agree? It is popular to hear Christians say, quote, because I am heaven bound, I am therefore, what? No earthly good. Because I am heaven bound, I am no earthly good. When a person lives by this creed, there's little care for God's kingdom here on earth. The person who says, I am heaven bound, therefore I am no earthly good, is also saying, because heaven awaits me, all this around me can burn. And I've heard it. I've heard it in churches. I've heard it from Christians. Just let it burn. Heaven awaits me. This is a terrible creed to live by terrible creed to live by. It's a terrible way to live. This part of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, verse 10, I think is a massive correction to this type of thinking. Jesus is here to tell you that God's kingdom has come and God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Interpretation. It is not the will of our Father in heaven that we mistreat or become apathetic here on earth. God wants the opposite for us. God wants your will to align with his will, not the other way around. Jesus wants us to see that it is God's desire and will that need to be realized here on earth. The kingdom of heaven has been established here on earth. The question is, are you joining God to see the gospel of the kingdom advance? Think of it like this. There is a basketball game going on right now. There are players on each team. Now, will you join God's team or stay comfortably in the stands? Sitting in the stands is where Satan wants you, watching the action, but entirely ineffective. Perhaps you say you don't like basketball. Fine, you can use the Lord's Prayer to help your heart grow in a love for the game. You can use this particular verse. When you stay in the stands, you effectively say with your actions, my kingdom is more important than God's kingdom. I think there's a temptation for Christians to be wrapped up. And I am chief offender here. To be wrapped up in our own little kingdoms with no thought for God's kingdom. Again, I am the chief offender. I focus so much on my puny little kingdom that God's kingdom is either relegated or pushed aside entirely. So why does Jesus tell us to pray about the kingdom of heaven or God here on earth? I think the answer is straightforward. In Jesus Christ, a new covenant has been established, but this covenant is not just about a people. It's about all that God has created. And through Jesus Christ, the church is now empowered by the Spirit and given the responsibility to be about the business of spreading the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. I believe that since Acts 2, Acts 2 is a big deal, Pentecost, 
since Acts 2, the church has been given the mandate to help people on earth to understand God's kingdom through the preaching of the gospel, right? Through good works, Matthew 5.15, Ephesians 2.10, and prayer. When the church stays focused on the preaching of the gospel, demonstrating good works, and praying about the kingdom of heaven here on earth, then God gets into what? He gets into homes. He gets into communities. He gets into schools. He gets into businesses. God gets into institutions. And why would we not want the gospel of Jesus Christ transforming homes and culture? Why not? Right? Of course we should want that. And God is using us, the church, to accomplish his mission. So let's appropriately appropriately pray that earth will look a lot more like heaven. Now let's look at this section of the Lord's Prayer by breaking it into three sections. When Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come, this is the first section, he literally calls us to pray that the realities of heaven would be increasingly more present on earth. The great theologian Augustine said this about Matthew 6, verse 10. And I know you didn't got projection, so I'll try to explain it well. And I quote, The expression, thy kingdom come, Augustine says, is not to be thought of as if God were not now reigning. He's he's saying God is reigning. Augustine says, come is to be understood in the sense of manifested to humanity, just as light that is present is absent to the blind or those who shut their eyes, so the kingdom of God, though it never departs from the earth, yet is absent to those who know nothing about it. In other words, here's what he's saying. Just because a person is blind does not mean the light does not exist. The light does exist. And he continues, To none, however, will ignorance of God's kingdom be permitted when his only begotten comes from heaven then he will be recognizable not only by the intellect, but visibly as the man of the Lord, that's Jesus, to judge the living and the dead. God has manifested himself in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells us what to say, the gospel, and Jesus teaches us how to live. That's the Sermon on the Mount, these ethics and values that we've been looking at. And God's kingdom has come, whether you believe it or not. If you're blind to it, guess what? It's here. So what do we know about God's kingdom? The Bible is full of examples and tropes describing the kingdom of heaven. For example, in Genesis 1 and 2, God made everything good and pure. There was perfect peace immediately after God created the world. When we think about the kingdom of heaven, we can in part think about the Garden of Eden. It seems to me that good, pure, and perfect are excellent adjectives to describe the kingdom of heaven. It's a worthy pursuit, those things. Not many people think about heaven this way, but it makes sense biblically. I think the Garden of Eden presents a better picture of heaven than most children's story Bibles. So we can go to the first book of the Bible, and then we can make our way to the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. The last book and chapter of the Bible pick up on some of the images from the first two chapters of the Bible. It's amazing. It really is amazing. Listen to this imagery. This is from uh, Revelation 22. Then the angel showed up, showed me the river of the water of life. You tracking? When you read Genesis 1 and 2, 
bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street and the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its tree of life. When you hear that, you'd be like, whoa, that came up in Genesis. The tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And basically, as you continue to read that chapter, it's the gospel. What we read in Revelation 22 is a garden city of goodness, purity, and perfect peace. And now, between these two gardens, right? Between these two gardens, Genesis 1 and 2, Revelation 22, between these two gardens, we, the church, live in a time where God's kingdom is advancing to the nations. In a world where it seems like evil and wickedness are advancing, why do I have such a positive view of God's kingdom on earth? I would get that question from some of you, perhaps. Why are you so positive, man? It, have, you, have you not watched CNN or MSNBC or Fox News? Everything's burning to the ground. And there are some days where I do feel that, right? Like sometimes I'm really optimistic. Sometimes I'm kind of like, oh. But why, generally speaking, am I optimistic? Why do I have a positive view of God's kingdom on earth? Number one, I'm optimistic because of the truth that Christ currently reigns over the entire universe. I would be utterly pessimistic if it were not for Christ. But because of the incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, I think we have every reason to be optimistic. Another reason why I'm optimistic. Second one, I'm optimistic because of the tangible evidence that since Acts 2, the good news of the gospel has been reaching the ends of the earth. You can't deny it. Christianity has gone from a few country bumpkins who lived on the edge of the Mediterranean to millions upon millions of people claiming the name of Christ for themselves. You can't deny that. Like, I'm not great at statistics, but I think that one, we're, we're good there. That's unprecedented. Number three, I'm optimistic because of what we read in the Lord's Prayer. Did you know that the verbs in Matthew 6.10 are not in the future tense? They're in the present and past tense. Meaning, God's kingdom on earth is an ever-present reality. Jesus knows that when he teaches his disciples to pray like this, that his prayer is going to be handed down from one generation to the next. This part of the prayer is a reminder of who ultimately reigns over the earth. So I'm optimistic because of just what I read here in the text. Number four, I'm optimistic because even when there is suffering and persecution, the gospel advances. It is true that throughout history, when the church is persecuted, the result is more people end up following Christ. Like, for example, real example, you want to know why I'm not worried about the church in China? Like, I am worried about individuals who are being persecuted in China. Absolutely. But generally speaking, I'm not worried because the church grows and matures in the midst of persecution. I mean, I'm... I would go as far as say, I bet the church in China is more spiritually healthy than the church in the United States. This point seems counterintuitive. It seems upside down. But this isn't shocking in God's kingdom. And we could just go back to history. First century, second century, up until Constantine, persecution of Christians everywhere. And yet, Christianity is spreading like wildfire. 
The famous saying goes like this, what the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That's another reason why I'm optimistic. The next phrase is, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. The Greek word for will is philema, which also means desire. When we pray for God's will to be done, there needs to be an underlining sense that the church is doing the particulars of God's kingdom. I've already highlighted this point, but I want to build it out. Kevin DeYoung says this, and I quote, It is important to say something here about the relationship between the kingdom and the church. The two are not identical, but they cannot be separated. So they're like this, they overlap. And in this life, they largely overlap, he says. We can think of the church as a kind of outpost or embassy of the kingdom. An embassy is a national outpost situated in a foreign land. The embassy, while it wants to deal peacefully in foreign land, exists to advance the interests of another country. We, the church, exist to advance the interests of the kingdom of heaven. Likewise, he goes on, the church dwelling on earth is a, in various nations around the world exists to advance the interests of another kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. The church is the place where you expect to see the values and the rules of the kingdom honored and upheld. The church is supposed to be the outpost of heaven on earth. Young makes several points about this passage. Actually, I don't agree with him when you continue to read this particular section, but I think he's done pretty good right here. As DeYoung rightly points out, the church is the vehicle to see the particulars of God's heavenly kingdom done here on earth. Let's think about participation in the kingdom of heaven on earth from a macro level and a micro level. At a micro level, you and I need to pray that God's will be done in your life, in your specific life, you. How can you know God's will for your life? Right? And that's the word like... I want the, the will of, I want to pray that the will of God be done in my life. How can you, what can you do? You go to Holy Scripture. Holy Scripture contains examples and statements that speak about God's will for your life. Growing up, uh, I would hear on the radio a woman named Delilah. I don't know if that was a localized thing or not. Yeah, not localized. Okay. Syndicated. Uh, she would take calls from various people, and they would, like, want advice. So it's like, hey, I'm dating my boyfriend. It's going south. And she'd, like insert her advice, or my life's going sideways, I don't know, all that kind of stuff. We have journalists and, and newspapers who do the same thing. People want advice, and what, what's going on here? Well, Delilah and others are inserting their will over other people's lives. And I started thinking to myself, how quickly we circumvent God's word when trying to understand the will for our lives here on earth. Like, are you sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend? You know what? I can certainly tell you God's will for your life. Do you have anger problems? I can tell you God's will for your life. Are you lazy and slothful? Again, I can tell you God's will for your life by taking you to the sufficient word of God. When you trust that Holy Scripture is sufficient to explain God's will for your life, you are experiencing in a tangible way the kingdom of heaven in your life. On a macro or corporate level, the church needs to be a, a part of God's will being done. For example, taking care of the poor and needy. Every local church should participate in caring for the poor and needy. Why? God is merciful and compassionate and, compares and, and cares for the poor and needy. So Redemption Hill, we support what? Together for good, right? We support ministries like Covenant Mercies. We do in our small part to see God's will being done on earth. Right now, we're raising money to buy school supplies for students in need. Students at Radiant Elementary and students who are part of Together for Good. 
there are tangible actions for the church in God's kingdom. We can span out even more and talk about the kingdom of heaven manifesting itself here on earth. Last week, or over this last week, I've been in this constant dialogue with a dear friend, um, constant dialogue, and he gave me permission to talk about this. Uh, my friend Eric, some of you know him, he lives in Philly. We've been talking about God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven, but in real practical terms. My friend Eric has been grieved over the murder of close friends and family on the streets of Philly. Crime is just through the roof there. He has been grieving over the death of youth on the streets of Philly. To just walk into the store and bullets fly. And we've been asking the question together as friends, what does it mean for the kingdom of heaven to make an impact on the streets of Philly? What does it look like for the church to step into the hard space to see the kingdom of Christ impact hearts, minds, and actions? We were talking about how to take this prayer, right? How to take this prayer and turn it into action. The church is called by God to bring the light into the darkness. The church does not retreat, but she marches forward. We all can sit here and make a list a mile long of darkness existing on earth and the need for darkness to be exposed by the light. We can do that. But the church has the light of Christ, and we boldly go where there is injustice. When you understand that the kingdom of heaven has come on earth, then pursuing biblical justice, biblical justice, makes more sense. We see the need to be salt and light. As I was writing this section of the sermon, a notification popped up on my phone. Sometimes notifications are a good thing. (laughs) Sometimes they're a huge distraction. Mostly they're a distraction, actually. Uh, But this one was a good one. A friend of mine who's a pastor in Montana tweeted this, and I really liked the quote and connected with exactly what I was thinking about. The kingdom of Christ is to have top priority when we contemplate the consequences of our actions. For Christ has preeminence overall, Colossians 1.18. It will be for our good, our neighbor's good, and our society's good if all of our actions and attitudes are governed by an interest in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. What you do makes an impact in the places that you find yourself in. Like this very well could be an evangelism sermon. What you do makes an impact in the places you find yourself. Therefore, we can pray God's kingdom come and God's will be done, which leads to the last phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I don't want to be repetitive, so let's talk about this relationship between heaven and earth. Growing up, my dad would listen to the Beatles. One of the Beatles, John Lennon, came out with the solo album in what year? 19... 71, we talked about this earlier. And there's one iconic song, and it's called Imagine. If I would play the song for you, you all would know it um, because it's widely popular. Here's how the song opens. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. And then... Skipping a little bit, he continues, Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. 
and no religion too. Lenin sings about an atheistic or agnostic utopia that will never exist. At least that's my interpretation of his song. In contrast with the Lord's Prayer, Lenin says, There is no heaven on earth because heaven does not exist. All Lenin could hope for is for the goodness of mankind to sweep over the earth so that peace can be accomplished. Unfortunately, Lenin did not understand the depravity and sinfulness of man. That was just clearly, if you read his lyrics, doesn't seem to be a category for him. The only way the goodness, truth, and beauty of God can sweep over the earth is for the realities of heaven to be on the earth. It takes a bunch of redeemed sinners to see God's plan of redemption for the entire world. And it's redeemed sinners like you and me who need to understand that God has empowered us to be his ambassadors to see the realities of heaven continue to take root here on earth. And the good news is that God is at work. On a macro level, the gospel of Jesus Christ is making its way into every tribe, tongue, and nation. Like, go back to Acts 1, and what do we read? Jesus tells his disciples, and now us, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's talking about the next chapter, chapter 2, Pentecost. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and what? And where else? To the ends of the earth. We are currently witnessing this scripture being fulfilled by God through the church. The work is not done. No, there's more to do. But the church has every reason to be optimistic about God's plan of redemption. So how do the realities of the kingdom and heaven inform your prayer life, right? I've tried to pitch to you an understanding of the kingdom of heaven here on earth why we can have an optimistic view. Now, what is, how do we even begin to pray and understand in our prayers, your kingdom come? Listen, we need to be praying that the kingdom of Christ will make an impact in our homes, in our communities, and yes, in our social institutions, 100%. I'm not advocating theonomy, if some of your minds want to go there. Um, even, even if you don't even know what that is, that's fine. That's not what I'm advocating. But... I certainly want to see Christ impact every square inch of this earth. Every square inch. He owns it. He's sovereign over it. I want to see Christ make an impact over every square inch of this earth. And we need to pray that the church, broadly speaking, will be about God's business to see justice established where there is injustice. We pray to our Father in heaven that you and I will not be idle, but proclaim salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We proclaim it, and also we have our good works so that other people may glorify God, and we pray. Last thought, and then I'll pray and be done. At some point over the summer, um, I don't remember exactly when, probably early June, I changed the language that a person sees when they go to redemptionhilldsm.org. Now, if you go to the website, there's kind of a blip. And these words help capture the will of God in heaven, making an impact on the earth through the church, through you. Here's what's on our website right now. It's really simple. I think it's worth memorizing. 
all of Christ, for all of life, for all of the Des Moines Metro. All of Christ, for all of life, for all of the Des Moines Metro. These words help us to apply Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.